You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Hi, everyone. You're listening to episode number 17 of the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. This is my conversation with Christina from at Not Pregnant Poetry on Instagram. She also has a website if you go to her bio on Instagram, and she has a book coming out soon. I cannot recommend her writing enough. Um, Her heart is just so beautiful, and she's insanely talented with her words. I, I can't say enough good things, and so I highly recommend that you check her out. We talk about all of the things in this episode. We hear her story from the very beginning, along with talking about us meeting on Instagram and connecting for the first time in this way, and it's just a great conversation. I hope that you feel like you're a third person in on a phone call between two friends. Um, that's definitely what it felt like from my point of view. It just felt like I was talking to an old friend, even though we've only ever connected on Instagram, so I'm really excited for you to hear this. Before we get into the episode, I do want to mention that on Friday, May 21st at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, so if you're listening to this episode on the day it goes live, Thursday, that means that my Clubhouse pilot premiere is tomorrow, and I really, 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 really need you guys to show up. I need just you being in the audience does so much for this pilot, and I am just so excited. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I have been selected out of 5,000 people, or I think it was a little over 5,000 people, and I'm so proud of this. I'm one of 60 that were selected to have a pilot episode on Clubhouse, which is an audio-only platform, and if we're getting real, I like it so much better than Instagram. It's more intimate, we have conversations, it's not recorded, so it's a real safe place, and I just love it. My show is going to be called Loss and Gain, and it's going to be about normalizing speaking, about miscarriage. I'm going to have some experts, some of my friends in the community. It's basically like a live version of this podcast. And this episode will be judged by Clubhouse, and if they like it, they will continue it. And I would be so honored to have this show on their platform and promoted by them and supported by them. So I cannot thank you enough for showing up, for rooting for me, for following me on Clubhouse. I'm not really great at self-promotion, so it's a lot for me to ask for this type of support on a social media platform. If you are on Clubhouse, I would love for you to join. I have put a link in the show description. If you need an invite to Clubhouse, you can send me an email or a DM, themiscarriagedoula at gmail.com or at themiscarriagedoula on Instagram. Again, it's Friday, May 21st, so if you're listening live, this is tomorrow. At 11 a.m. Eastern Time, it'll run for about 60 minutes. You can join for part of it if you want to, the whole thing. I hope to see you there. Okay, now that I got that out of the way, 
and I've invited you all to join me on the Clubhouse premiere of Loss and Gain. Let's get into the episode with Christina from Not Pregnant Poetry. Let's see, I think it was, I got married in 2014 to my wife. Um, So I'm in a same-sex relationship, marriage, and um, we were very serious about having kids like we were very serious and we knew that it was going to be tough because you know we would have to go through fertility treatments and and whatnot so we got started almost right away like a year after we got married um and the plan was to do three IUIs and if that didn't work then we would move on from that so the three IUIs didn't work and that was hard but I was kind of like clinging on to hope at the same time. Um, And we went in to do IVF, which, you know, I was terrified. I'm like, I have a ton of medical like trauma and triggers. So it's like, this was something that I really, really did not feel comfortable doing, but I, you know, I, I did it and um, it worked and I got pregnant and we were really excited and everyone was really excited and it was a really exciting time for us. And you know, with IVF, there's no like, you know, waiting for the first trimester to be over to like tell people if that's what you want to do. It's kind of like everyone's waiting for these results. And it's like today's the day and everyone wants to know. So, right. you know, I told people right away that I was and we were so excited. Um, and the numbers, you know, got bigger and that was exciting too. And I thought, oh my word, this is actually happening. And I was just flabbergasted that this actually worked and I was experiencing all these symptoms that felt like crap, but it was like so good. Um, And that was short lived because like at my third appointment with my fertility specialist, the numbers weren't getting bigger. They were kind of getting bigger, but they weren't. And then it was like that night that um, I started spotting pretty heavily and I knew that it was ending. Um, so that was devastating and it was um, incredibly difficult to, to go through. And it was very, it was a scary time because I felt very alone and like I was the only person experiencing this in the world. And I was just, you know, in my master bathroom, like I'm the only person ex- experiencing this and knowing how this feels. I can't even explain how this feels. It's just so horrible. Um, and I could not give up the idea of having a baby. I just absolutely couldn't. I mean, this was, this was, to me, this was my purpose, was to be a mother. And there was just absolutely no way I can go through life not having a baby. There was just no option. Like, I was going to have a baby. So I could, I could barely even accept that it wasn't working. Um, but it wasn't. <laughs> so um, we decided to try one more time, which I still kick myself for doing because I knew it was a bad idea going into it. I didn't want to do it the first time, but I just absolutely could not accept that it wasn't going to work. I just, I I had to be a mother. There was just no other option. Like this was my potential, like my highest potential was to be a mother. So I can't accept that it's not going to work. So we did it for a second time and I knew before even the transfer that the chances were low because of the quality of the embryos. Um, So I didn't really 
have a lot of hope at that point. Um, but again, it came back positive. So, um, you know, I got pregnant twice and even saying that out loud now was like, where are you? Um, you know, feeling all the things and, and it was a sea of disappointment and a, a sea of just depression and darkness. Um, at that point, I remember telling my wife, I said, I'm, I'm not sad for what people usually are sad about in terms of having a baby. I'm, I'm, I'm sad because I'm not going to reach my fullest potential. And I'm just not the kind of person to give up. I'm just not. It just does not come natural to me at all. Um, I will fight to the bitter end and I just cannot take no for an answer. And in my life, I've learned that the harder I work and the more I persist and the harder I try, I will eventually get there. But with this, that was not how it was going to work. And that was very difficult to accept. And it took me a long time to accept it. Um, and I, I just remember telling my wife, like, this is going to break me. I'm, this is going to break me. And it did. It did. I mean, I was, I was absolutely broken. Um, I'm sure on the outside, I looked pretty normal, but I was like living a life that seemed like I was kind of watching what I was doing instead of actually living what I was doing. Um, and just going through the day by day and I didn't know what to do because my plan was not coming to fruition. So holidays were passing and I was going to work and experiencing other people going through what I thought I was going to go through. And my due dates were passing by and we have no money because we put literally every set we had into these fertility treatments that, you know, I, I really thought would work. Um, and I was so terrified to do them in the first place. It took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to be a mother, I was not going to carry, I was not going to have a baby. Um, those words, I, to this day, I just, I'm like, I can, this is not happening. Like, I cannot do this. Um, and it took me a long time to kind of figure out that, and this is kind of my, my big thing that I want to tell people is that you have to have a conversation with yourself. And the, conversa the conversation for me went like this. Your highest potential is not to carry a baby for nine months. And your highest potential isn't to give birth. And that's okay. But you want, you want to be a mother and you need to find a way to become a mother. And it's not going to be the natural way. And for so long, and this will tell you how uncultured I am, uh, the only way was to have a baby. So I, I thought I was going to have a baby and I was duped into thinking I was because I got pregnant twice. Um, and I felt pregnant and I was feeling all the things. So like I was going to be, I was going to have a baby, but, um, you have to have a serious conversation with yourself. What do you really want? Um, and I really want to be a mom. I really want to. And I had to accept that it wasn't going to be the natural route. And that took me a long time. Um, we, we took fostering classes. Um, you have to do like 36 hours um, where I live um, of like classes, 
to just kind of get the process started of ad for adoption or even just to foster. Um, and it was really my wife's thing. She wanted to do this. And I was kind of hoping that she was kind of just like busying herself and kind of keeping herself busy, which it does keep you busy. If, if you know anything about becoming a foster parent, the home study is like a full-time job, like getting your house ready, getting a nursery ready, getting a car seat, um, having the smoke detectors in every room and every hallway, um, having the inspections done, having the social workers come in and do the interviews. And um, they want to make sure that you're in the right head, head place or head space to even do this, which I wasn't. Um, I kind of was just kind of going through the motions thinking, well, this is the only way I'm going to become a mom. So I guess I'll, I guess I'll do it. But my wife was really the one that was, um, doing all the things. And I was just kind of a body doing it because I was really still grieving and looking back, I'm like, wow, um, that was probably a bad idea. Um, but we went through the classes and after the classes in the home study, I told my wife, I said, I don't think that I can foster a child that is eventually going to be reunited with their family, which is a good thing. That's the whole point. Um, the whole point of foster care is for a child to come into your home, whether it be a baby or a five-year-old or a 10-year-old, and the parent does what they need to do. And eventually the child is re reunited with their parent. And that's the role of a foster parent. And that's what you're taught in the classes. Um, so they really blatantly tell you, like, if you're trying to build a family doing this, you're in the wrong place. Um, so the devastation and the depression just kind of got worse and worse for me because I was not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel at all. Um, but we persisted, which, you know, becomes very natural to me. I just, we just kept going. And um, we got an email from our caseworker regarding a six-year-old who, um, was in a bad place and needed someone just to watch him overnight. And I was like, well, I can, I can do the overnight thing. I mean, you know, I were certified, you know, foster parents. I don't want to keep saying no to these opportunities. So, you know, we'll do the overnight thing and see how it goes. I'm terrified. I'm like crying, even thinking about it at this point, you know, like having this child in our home, that's not a baby. I didn't have a baby. I'm this child is going back to, you know, his other foster family and eventually to it, to his parents. And this is like a huge tease and we still did it. And, um, long story short on that is that he, he eventually did become a ward of the state and we did end up adopting him a year and a half later. Um, and he taught me a lot. He taught me, um, that you can be a mother and that, he, it's a shared space, he has a bond with his own mother, um, but he really opened my heart to the idea that I did not have to give for a child, to, and it was really important. It was a really important um, lesson. Um, but before, before the, his adoption even happened, we had taken a trip to Florida, um, we had met him at this point, but, you know, at, at this point, it was kind of just like the teasing part. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're doing that. But I, I really didn't think anything would come of it. So we're in Florida and we're visiting my parents and my grandmother had just passed away. And it was an emotional time. Um, 
And her, her death was interesting because I got this feeling when she passed that if I was going to be a mom, that she was going to be rooting for me because she knew she was one person that knew this was what I really wanted. And I thought, she's not with us anymore, but maybe her intentions for me are good. And that I'm not like a highly spiritual, like religious person, but I just had this overwhelming feeling like since she passed, there's someone looking down on me and saying, we're going to make this happen or not. We have to figure this out. So we took this trip to, to Florida and we come back and we're seeing our foster son, you know, on and off. And I had this thing, like after my grandma passed that I was like, I just said every night out loud, I want to be a mother. That's what I want. I, I don't have to have a baby. I don't have to go through these nine to 10 months of, you know, gestation and all that. I don't have to have a baby shower, but I have to become a mother. So I'm saying this out loud. I want to be a mother. That's literally all I said out loud. And it was like a prayer. It was like a chant I said every night. And two weeks after that trip, we got a call about a um, two-week-old infant And again, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, this is an actual baby. And his his plan, and you know, every plan is different for every child that's in foster care, but his his plan was not to be reunited with his birth mother. Um, She had um, signed away rights pretty quickly after after giving birth. Um, So that was something that, you know, I thought, well, Either I don't do it and I don't get to experience motherhood and I'll just put a period on that and we'll just enjoy, you know, not having a child and kind of going through the foster care motions with other children. Or we can try and um, we'll see if it works. So we have this baby in our home for, you know, a month and I'm, I mean, I'm elated. I'm like, it was like the antidepressant of, of, of life. I mean, he just brought me so much joy. And again, I'm learning like, oh my God, I didn't give birth to this baby, but like, he feels like mine, you know, and he really, I feel like I have this connection with him. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, Christina, he's in foster care. He has a plan to be reunited with his family. That's his plan. And I kind of feel like my miscarriages allowed me to be cautiously optimistic because I had been through loss before. So in a way, I felt like, okay, I'm prepared for loss again. Um, And sure enough, about a month after having him, our caseworker told us that there was someone that um, would be taking him and it would be happening like right away. And that was very hard. Um, The interesting thing is that it wasn't as hard for me as it was for my wife. And I felt like I was able to console her the way she consoled me during my miscarriages, because for her, this was like her having a miscarriage. You know, she felt very bonded to this baby as I did. Um, But I was always very cautious and I don't think she was. Um, But that weekend, that that week was like a Friday. We found out the weekend had passed and we were told it was going to happen over the weekend and it did not happen. And I'm thinking, 
okay, well, I'll let Monday come and I'm sure we'll hear from someone. We'll pack his things up. And we were, and we were feeling less bonded to him. And I thought, you know what, this is his plan. Um, I got to experience this for a month and it was very hard, very, very hard. It was hard for our family and friends who were so happy for us. It was hard for me. And it was especially hard for me to see my wife in that state. Um, and I kind of feel like that's the way she was seeing me during my losses. And now I was seeing her and I just do not want to see her like this anymore. And that's how she, how, that's how she felt about me during fertility treatments. We were just, she, she felt like she couldn't see me like that anymore. So it was kind of an interesting perspective. Um, long story short on that is that the uh, family member that was going to take our, our son, who at this point was like two months old, um, it, it didn't work out for the family member to take, to take our son. Um, so at eight months old, we were able to adopt him and he is literally just everything. I mean, we, what I love about him the most is that he didn't, you, I didn't make him. It's like, he was made for me and it really feels like he was tailored for me. And even the way he looks physically, He's what exactly what I had in mind, you know, down to his hair and his development is so inspiring to me because he, he came from a, from a, from a bad place. Um, not that his birth mom was bad, but he came from a, a bad situation and it's so inspiring that I was actually able to make peace with something that I thought I would never be able to make peace with. And that, this is actually my highest potential. Um, and I am, I am reaching my highest potential by doing this. And I, I thought it was having a baby, but this experience is so much more than I could have ever dreamed. And I know it sounds cliche, but even on the bad days, I'm just like, this is awesome. Like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. And I, he calls me mom. I'm like, what? Like, still, I'm just like, oh my God, like, really? It feels so good. And I just look back on my time when we did fertility treatments and how I couldn't accept, I couldn't accept that I wasn't going to give birth. And I made peace with that eventually. And there was a time where we, we kind of accepted the childless, you know, after infertility, experience. We were, we were honestly doing very well. You know, we had joined a gym. We, we, um, we, um, discovered craft beer. We went out with our friends all the time. And I was like, well, this is us, you know, and I, I'm just so proud of myself for both of us for, for, you know, just saying, you know what we tried, it didn't work. And we're just going to love life the way, the way things are. Um, but eventually it did happen. And, you know, because it was a leap of faith um, with both of our sons. And I'm just really grateful that my wife was persistent in doing the foster care thing, even though I, I wasn't really interested, but knew that it was the only way. And now we have two kids and um, my oldest is eight and my youngest is going to be two next month. Um, so yeah, now we're moms. <laughs> That is so, I loved hearing your story, like from start to finish, because I feel like I've only 
I've only uh, read, I couldn't think of the word read, read what you've written. And um, I think uh, I did an intro before this episode to where I let people know that you write under not pregnant poetry, mm-hmm. but I would also really love to hear because I met you under not pregnant poetry. And yes. so I don't know you outside of that. So I'd love to hear how from, you know, infertility, miscarriage to fostering that you started writing and sharing your writing on the internet. So when we took that trip to Florida after my grandma passed, um, I had this dream that I was shopping for underwear at like a Target or something, like a department store. And there were three options. And one was like princess and like one was like bite me or something. And the other one said not pregnant. And I was like, oh my God, they have something for me. So that was just like a funny dream I had. And I was like, here I am in this like department store in this like probably like the teenage area where you find underwear with things on the back of them. And I'm thinking I'm never going to find something for me. But then here were these underwear basically made for me that say not pregnant. So in my dream, I like buy these underwear and I'm like super excited. But so we're in Florida and I have always enjoyed writing. Um, I was like, you know, president of the writers club in high school. And I was a pretty uh, big contributor to literary, literary magazines when I was getting my undergraduate degree. Um, and then I decided to get my master's and I just stopped all re- reading and writing. I was just exhausted. Um, I kind of stopped writing at that point. Um, but then during this trip, I just started like, writing little things down that I was feeling. And this was kind of during the time that we were kind of embracing the childless life. Um, I kept calling myself like the Miss Tia Jadusa because I was just like enjoying life so much and just being childless and like writing down what the horrors of miscarriage and how horrible that was and how I'm like free from that now. And I could not stop writing. I could not stop. It was like, I couldn't even enjoy this vacation because I was busy writing. Um, So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I have some material here. Um, Maybe I'll, you know, share it and, you know, see if it like, it helps other women grieve and see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, whether you have a baby or not. Um, And, you know, wherever, however you become a mother or not, you know, all, everything is, is a a cycle and everything is a season. And I think it's really important to embrace where you are in the moment, um, whether it be good or bad. And I learned that through through my own struggles. Um, So anyways, I started this not pregnant poetry Instagram off this dream I had not, you know, not pregnant, you know, underwear. And I was, I met a lot of really amazing people like yourself that, you know, had experienced a lot of what I had gone through. And I was like, wow, like, I'm actually not the only person that experienced the horrors of this. As a matter of fact, a lot of my experiences were very similar to other women. And I was like, God, I wish I knew about this when I was in the depths of it, because it would have been really, really helpful because I felt very alone. Even my, I didn't even feel like my wife really understood um, how horrible it, it was, it felt at the time. 
Um, and that's hard when your, your spouse is like your person, but you're like, you know, no, you don't get it. You don't, you just can't, you, you wouldn't possibly understand what this feels like. Um, so writing a book for me was like before, before our baby came into our lives. And I thought, wow, I, I think this is a project I want to take on. And I want, I want to give something to this community that I needed when I was in that situation. I, I, I kept seeing like women waiting in the fertility clinics, you know, waiting for their HCG report, waiting for, you know, waiting, 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 which is what fertility treatments are basically. It's just a ton of waiting. Um, and I, I want them to be able to grasp something and say, this, this person experienced what I'm experiencing and it's going to be okay whether I have a baby or not. It's going to be okay. Um, and for a while, it's not going to feel okay. Um, you could go years with it not being okay. And that's okay too. Um, so I really, we really worked hard on this. I, and I, my wife is illustrating this book and I did all the writing and I'm very proud of it. Taken a long time because two weeks after I started this Instagram account, um, our baby came into our lives. So it's also really hard to write on your grief when you're experiencing the exact opposite of, of grief. Um, but so yep, started the Instagram account and decided to write a book and it's taken a lot longer than I wanted to just because these unexpected um, joys came and things take time. Yeah. Well, and I think um, hearing you tell the story about the dream, now your logo, which I love the logo that you use. Now it makes so much sense. And I love the story behind it. I did not know that. My wife drew that randomly when I told her about the dream and I was like, oh my God, that's it. Like it, I yeah. it my breath away. I was like, oh my word. Um, and I just love the simplicity of it. And that, you know, my wife's not an artist by any means, but she loves to doodle and, um, for like Christmas, I like bought her all these art supplies so that we could do this. And she, she's just so inspiring to me because she's not a professional, but she's so proud of her work. And I'm so proud of our work together and that we were able to heal together um, from, from miscarriage and grief and loss. And I'm really looking forward to just for this to come together. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think that it, it took a long time to come to the surface, but I'm very excited about it. And I, I, I really can't wait to give back to this community because I just feel like almost like forever indebted to people that are, were so open about their experiences with miscarriage because I'm such a, I'm a really private person. So, you know, women were really explaining the things that they were seeing and going through. And I was like, oh my word, that's exactly what I... My wife doesn't even know I went through that, but I did. I, I didn't want to talk about it because it's so gross. But if it wasn't for this community, I don't know that I would have healed the way I did. Um, and even like just learning how to navigate other people's pregnancies and what to say to people when they ask you really invasive questions, um, how to handle, you know, baby showers. And I still laugh because you think you're going to get out of a baby shower during a pandemic but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, kind of, 
the community really taught me how to navigate a lot of those things. And um, if I could change anything, it would be that I just would have found this community sooner. I feel the same exact way. And it's funny you said that you're actually a really private person because even though I share like the most TMI details on the internet, I am a really private person Mm -hmm. and normally don't share so much information. I'm not really the type to where I would have ever thought that I would openly share a miscarriage or infertility struggles. But I think that with infertility, you just reach a point where you're like, I'm suffering so much that this feels so heavy. I just have to let it out and you find an outlet. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a lot of bravery. It really does to really put yourself out there. Um, especially with a topic like this, I think it is very personal and it's like, I always worry too, like who's going to find it in my personal life, who at work is like following this Instagram and like knows that I'm having these dark moments. My boss just followed me on Instagram. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, there's one person at work that I know for sure. She's such a nice, kind person that I, I don't feel like too terrible about it. But there are some people that I'm like, they're not going to like this because some of it's kind of graphic and some of it's, you know, kind of brash. Um, and it's not, it's not like a light topic, you know, so not at all. I've never totally been open about, about my miscarriages to anybody, not even really my family. So this feels like almost like an invasion of privacy, but I'm the one like putting out this material. So that's a great way to put it because the first time that somebody I knew found my Instagram, even though my name was on it, it started anonymous. And then, um, even though my name was on it, I still was so afraid of people finding it, but I just reached a point where I was like, I just don't care. Or I kind of Mm -hmm. talked myself up. Like I didn't care, but on the inside I was like shaking. And the first time somebody followed me, I remember I was so sick to my stomach. I couldn't sleep. I'm really sorry for the barking in the background. It's It's totally Um, okay. I couldn't sleep. I was so sick to my stomach. And then I was just like, why do I feel like this? Like, this is what the whole like wait 12 weeks thing is about is to Mm. protect other people from this uncomfortable topic. Mm. And so it's kind of like, I hate to blame society because we could blame society for everything, but it Mm. makes us feel like this topic shouldn't be talked about because it is so gruesome or because it is Mm. so morbid. And I think that accounts like yours in your writing and I, us sharing kind of eliminates that for people who go through it in the future Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I do have to say about your book because I've read it it's so good and I'm so excited for it to I'm so so excited for it to be available because I think I told you I read it like twice because I wanted to pick out my favorite ones to share Mm -hmm. with you and it was just I think that your writing is so beautiful but I know I don't have to tell you that because I tell you it all the time well you're very sweet thank you so much I um I always liked writing growing up And I feel like my writing, my love for writing is similar to yours to where it's just like an in the moment and how I'm feeling type of Mm -hmm. thing. And that's usually when the best stuff comes out. Like I could go months without writing and Mm -hmm. feel like crap about it. But Mm -hmm. then I have periods where I'm inspired and it seems like it's so much better than I could have imagined. It's yeah. Writing is so weird. (laughs) It really is. And I feel like it's so good for grief because grief kind of works like you're like over it for like even like months you could go like being totally fine and then something triggers you and I it's in those moments that I get really clear thoughts and it really helps me process how I'm feeling and how I'm doing 
and it helps me to connect to other people that are feeling the same way. And I know my Instagram crowd is account is like super small. And I, I find a lot of comfort in that because, you know, if it was to get really big, people would know. Um, so I'm, I, I really appreciate that, you know, I, I do have the ability to write and not, it doesn't happen all the time, but it writing happens for me when I need it. And, um, I know you feel the same way. So I feel like out a lot more content than I do. Um, (laughs) Uh, I don't feel like I do lately. (laughs) I feel like, uh, I feel like since people started finding my account that really, you know, you mentioned that your account is smaller, but you have like 2000, over 2000 followers on that account, right? Um, it's Which, more like 1800. Oh, still, you're very close. But, you know, having a bigger account, I think that that is like a modern day thing where people think that that sounds like a nice thing to have, but it is where it's more invasive and you have yeah. more opinions and more eyes, which isn't always the best thing, um, especially on a topic like this, because I mean, I remember sharing, I, I shared something about my second miscarriage and somebody told me that I was being reckless and sharing that miscarriage wasn't like a heavy period, but that was my experience. And so right. it, it kind of opens it up for people to tell you that you aren't sharing correctly or yes. however they want to put it. Right. Um, so I wish that I could go back and make my account profile sometimes, my, um, my account private sometimes because yeah, I miss those days where like <laughs> nobody knew who I was on the Turn account. Turn off those comments, please. Oh, thought about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. I feel like when you have like an unpopular opinion about something, um, there's always going to be someone that says, mm, I had a different experience and that. I've learned doesn't invalidate the way I felt or my experience, but you kind of have to learn that, well, our, our experiences were different and here's my perspective. You can make your own account if you want. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, One thing I did want to ask you because I am not in a same sex relationship. So I don't, I'm not, you know, as educated as I would like to be. Okay. Whenever you were trying to conceive and you guys did IUI and IVF, was it always that you were going to carry your child? Like your wife had no interest in it. My wife did not have any interest in carrying a baby, zero interest. Um, This was solely something I wanted to do. Um, Mm -hmm. It felt like I prepared my whole life to have a baby. So I kind of never thought about the mechanics of it. But um, it was really solely me that wanted to do this. And when things weren't going the way we wanted, our fertility specialist did suggest, like, I can't remember the right, the right term, but like using her eggs in my body. And first of all, I knew she didn't want to do that. But secondly, it's like, that's not what I want to do. I want this baby to be biologically mine. So um, that was never really a conversation um, it was always going to be me because this is what I, I wanted. Um, and she was always on board for whatever makes me happy. So that's, that's kind of how it worked for us. Um, so, yeah. Well, and I've heard, um, you know, through the online community, I've met couples that look totally different and, um, another same sex couple had a similar experience, but their doctor kept telling them because they experienced multiple miscarriages kept saying, well, why don't you let the other woman 
carry the Mm -hmm. child and kept pushing that to where I learned just how insensitive that is after, you know, Mm -hmm. one woman's had a miscarriage just because there's two females in a relationship. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that that's two bodies to carry a child. It still works Mm -hmm. like a a heterosexual relationship where one person might have more interest and the other person, you know, it's different because like my husband being a male can't carry a child, Mm -hmm. but it's still the same to where not every woman wants to carry a child. And it's kind of like, we need to normalize that too. Absolutely. Yeah. It really helped that she didn't want to experience it because it opened up my eyes to other options. And it kind of started the conversation that even if I do have a biological child, it's only, it's going to be, you know, 50% me and 50% this other person that I don't even know. Um, And that, and you know, I know a lot of people go that route and that's so great. Um, but it still scared me to have a procedure done where I didn't really even know the person that I was going to be making a baby with. Um, yeah. Guys were open to adoption. I was like, well, you almost had someone else's baby. Um, so I know that's kind of a bit much, but. Um, no, I think that's a really interesting point. And I've honestly thought about that myself. Um because even in my relationship, we talked about, I tried to prepare us for, I'm, I'm an Enneagram six. And so I'm an overthinker. And I told my husband like, well, what if we need to use somebody else's eggs? How do you feel about that? What if we need to use Mm -hmm. somebody else's sperm? So we had those conversations early on in our fertility journey. And I remember thinking that using somebody else's sperm and my egg made me feel like almost like just it was like a violation. Like I didn't know this person, but they were impregnating me and it would be so weird. So I think that you're totally onto something there. I think, I think about it weird too. You know, I don't know. Families are built in so in such different ways. And at the time I was going through fertility treatments, I was so narrow-minded and thinking this was the only way it was going to happen. So really through fertility treatments really taught me that there are so many ways to build a family. And um, in our situation, I kind of felt like, well, I went through a lot to, to be pregnant and to get pregnant and to experience that. And now my eyes are open to other opportunities um, if, it, if it works. Yeah. Well, and it gave you the ability I'm not, like you said about religion earlier, I feel like we relate in that to where I'm very, I'm kind of spiritual, but I'm not really religious to where like my grandma passed away whenever I was younger. So if I say a prayer out loud, I'm like talking to her to manifest something. And so I kind of have that same experience. Um, So I don't really think, well, like this is my plan and everything happens for a reason. But then I look at the things that resulted from loss. I'm like, okay, well, maybe... I experienced loss so I can talk about it and I can put words together for other people to be like, I relate to that. Or, you know, in your circumstances, you did everything you could to try and be a biological mother. And then you still became a mother anyway, which is really empowering. And it like the way that you got your children, it's almost like they were literally meant to be yours, which feels like. Yeah. As somebody who doesn't believe, like, I never think everything happens for a reason, but then you look at things and you're like, that person was crafted for you. And it's just, yeah, yes, it's so interesting. It really is. And I remember reading an article about, it was kind of the argument of things 
aren't um, meant to be or um, what, what did you just say? It was like things happen for a reason. And it was kind of the argument that things don't happen for a reason and, and the ugly things that happen to people, not the ugly things that happen to good people. Um, and sometimes I wonder if it's a matter of time for people to learn the reason things happen and the reason might be really bad. Like you're, you might not like the reason. Um, and I, I do feel like life is like a, a learning situation and ugly things will happen. And whether it's good or bad, it's something that you learn from and evolve from. And I was telling my wife this earlier that I'm such a different person now than who I was before going through fertility treatments and the loss and the pregnancies that I feel like people in my past wouldn't even recognize me. Like I'm, I am totally different. I'm, I am like made of steel. I feel like, like ugly situations bring it on because I've, I've been through it and I'm like a fighter, you know? And I just feel like I've, I've learned a lot through loss and I've learned a lot through my grief and I'm still grieving and I'm still learning from my grief. Um, and I, I'm, I'm open to, to life now. Like I, I want to experience all the things. Um, that's kind of what it feels like and what I learned from my own personal losses. Yeah. I love that. I think that's, I just, it is such a crappy thing to happen, but such like beautiful things to come out of it. It's such a weird thing. And grief is really weird whenever you do finally have your children, however your children come to you, Mm -hmm. because you're still grieving what you've lost and what you don't have, but very happy about where you ended up and what you have. And it's, Mm -hmm. I've learned that infertility and loss is feeling a lot of emotions at one time and all the emotions like separated conflict with each other. And it's just kind of navigating those. I really feel sorry for like the people around me. Like I'll tell them one thing like, Oh, I'm doing super fine. And the next minute I'm like, no, don't even ask me like, Oh my gosh, it's a lot of emotions. (laughs) And I still decline baby showers. I tried declining one pandemic thinking like coronavirus was a reason enough. They're like, Oh, well, we're all outdoors. And I'm like, Oh, well, I'm busy that day. Yeah. I try to think of it like, Believe me, you don't want me there. Yeah. I'll yeah. send you a gift though. Yeah, I always send a gift. Just don't yeah. really want to go. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, Christina, thank you so much for sharing with me. Um, even though I talk to you on Instagram and stuff all the time and we mm-hmm. email back and forth and you've written on my personal blog, Hello Warrior, which I don't think I've ever mentioned on any of the recordings of the podcast. Um, so I'll link okay. to yeah. your like posts and stuff too, because there's so many good ones there. Um, well, thank you so much for this opportunity. When you asked me, I was, I felt so humbled. So I'm, I'm absolutely honored to be a part of anything that you do. So thank you oh. so much. You're crazy to think I wouldn't ask you to be on this. (laughs) I felt bad asking people that I've connected with on Instagram because I didn't want them to feel um, like obligated, but it's like an honor to me to hear your story firsthand and to actually connect outside of Instagram because we've connected over Instagram for like the last two or three years. So Mm -hmm. it's a long, it's nice to talk to people outside. It really is. It really is. And I feel like I like totally know you. Like I saw your stories and saw that you were up in the middle of the night and I was like so was I (laughs) 
Yeah, I totally, I, whenever I have talked to people that I've met over the internet, I feel like I know them as if I see them all the time. It's really funny. Yeah. I kind of like it though. It's like a familiar face. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, it's kind of nice. I agree. 